Hello, everybody, and welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, are my two co-hosts, uh, Christine. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Dylan? I'm doing good. The weather's finally starting to turn nice. Yeah, we just got a bunch of snow here in Denver last night. Uh, pretty much one of the few snowstorms you even had this winter. So huh. definitely interesting. Aaron's also here. And by here, I mean in San Francisco. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm doing well, Dylan. I'm in San Francisco, which is one of my favorite cities aside from where I live in Austin. So I'm really happy to be in the Bay. Speaking of the Bay, uh, our guest today, uh, our guest today, he is the president of development at Smart Energy Water, Eric Dresselhaus. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're, we're glad to have you. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your company does and what you do there? Sure. So uh, Smart Energy Water is, uh, as, the, as the name might imply, a company that works across a whole range of electricity, gas, and water. And it focuses on people. So it's uh, in a world where we talk a lot about technology, hardware, software, firmware, uh, this is a company that's uh, uh, really uh, focused on how do we better engage people, both people in terms of consumers, but also people in terms of employees and people that work within the utility industry uh, to help uh, bring them into a modern age of kind of smart energy and water. And uh, I spend my time uh, working out in the market, understanding what our customers need uh, working with regulators uh, and a lot of partners. Our, our business is, uh, is uh, very much involved with working with partners across the whole range of uh, energy technology. Just recently, we had, a, we had a webinar about, it was about electric vehicles, but uh, Courtney McCormick from PSE&G had a really pertinent uh, quote. She said, she said that utilities are not in the business of making new technologies, but they are in the business of getting the getting the technology into customers' hands. So, why do you think it's important for utilities to get their customers involved with new technology? Yeah, well, I guess my take would be that I'm not sure there's any absolute uh, goodness in technology, uh, but uh, I think it is the job of utilities to meet their customers' needs, and those needs are uh, changing quite a bit. Uh, and they're much more dynamic than maybe they were, you know, 10 years ago, let alone 50 years ago. And those changes, uh, changes in customer expectations, changes in what customers are trying to do, are driven not just by technologies within the utility industry, but I think uh, driven largely by technologies that are developed outside of the industry. So, you know, the most obvious example you might look at is mobility uh, around cell phones and data mobility. Utilities didn't invent mobile phones, and uh, they're not in the business of making mobile phones, but their customers are increasingly uh, interacting with all of their service providers uh, through their mobile phone. And so uh, if you're a utility and you want to meet the needs of your customers, then you better recognize that, that people, especially younger people, are uh, live in a mobile-first world. They expect to be able to do everything uh, on their phone. Uh, they don't want to 
They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to visit you. They just want to push buttons on their phone and have things happen. So it's, uh, you know, uh, it's that Uberized experience that's, uh, that came from outside of the utility industry, but is starting to really uh, drive how customers think about uh, what they want to do and how they want to how they want to interact with uh, with a service provider, whether that's a utility or um, you know a package delivery company. A lot of times when we have this conversation about consumers in the digital age, uh, the the process is always talked about very reactively. It's like, well, more sa- more tech savvy customers have these new demands, and we got to keep up, and that's true. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, Customers who aren't just, you know, digital prosumers, but also are, you know, beginning to live in the twenty, beginning to live in the twenty first century. So I think there's a, a need for communication, and so uh, an education. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the education component. So how do we, how do we talk to customers about their role in the energy ecosystem in the digital age? Yeah, well, I think uh, uh, you know customers, and, and this is—I I like your comment about uh, about technology and maybe coming across as reactive because um, uh, I, I would I would hope that utilities would be working hard to be much more proactive. But proactive doesn't necessarily mean that people all want the same thing. Everybody doesn't want to be a prosumer. Uh, not everybody wants a solar panel. A lot of people. Um, uh, don't want to think about energy on a very regular basis. And, and if you make it too hard for them to, uh, uh, to interact with the energy ecosystem, you know, then they're just going to uh, tune out. They're going to say, I'm not interested in that. I don't want to go there. So I think we have to recognize as a starting point that um, most utilities, uh, and this, of course, varies place to place, but most utilities serve something in the neighborhood of you know, 99.9% of the human beings that live within their service territory. Um, if you were in any other line of business and you had 99.9% household penetration of your product, you'd probably, you know, be uh, doing flips for joy. Um, but we should recognize that when you're dealing with 99, nearly 100% of the population, not everybody wants the same thing. So when you talk about education, I think what's what's changing, what needs to change, is we have to be able to communicate with people on the basis with which they want to be communicated. And for some people, that's going to be a lot of data and a lot of interaction on a very regular basis. And for some people, it's going to be a very light touch, kind of on demand, um, uh, you know, where they can go and get the information they want in a very easy way when they want it. They can push a few buttons and make some choices and have things just happen. Uh, And the education, I think, isn't a separate campaign that, but I think education has just got to be an ongoing part of the dialogue. Uh, if you look at uh, you know, uh, any other part of your life, the noise floor, for lack of a better term, is really high. We're just inundated with information. And, uh, and so if, you, if you're a utility and you think once a month you're going to send out a bill and maybe put a stuffer into an envelope and that that's what customer education looks like, I think that doesn't reflect the reality of how most people get information and how most people interact uh, with information in the modern world. They want text, they want uh, Twitter, they want uh, social media as a big driver of how and where they get their information. Eric, so when you talk about this approach, you just said a comprehensive approach. Can you 
kind of talk more about how you envision it being um, strategized or really put out there? Is it kind of like a layered approach? You mentioned, you know, some customers may only want to have a light, a little bit of interaction, whereas some may want to have, you know, a lot of data and be very involved. Do you kind of view that as, okay, maybe we should first start with this um, this group of consumers who, who want a little bit of data and, and want some information and then maybe move on to the consumers that we think are want that really high level of interaction? Is it kind of phased or can you talk about how you see that playing out? Yeah, I think I think it practically it may need to get phased, but I think it's uh, um, you know the the word that just popped into my mind is more iterative, right? So you know you're, you you for most utilities, and I think for for a lot of a lot of other service providers, you know they don't really know enough about their customers at a detailed level um, to know who's in which bin, right? So. Um, yeah, it's not it's not the case, uh, at least from anything I've seen in the market, where a utility has um, you know a list of their million customers and they know exactly where to segment or place each of those um, people. And frankly, whatever, uh, however you might place yourself today uh, in in some profile uh, bin, uh, that may not be where you are in the future. Um, because you know, as an example, here in San Francisco, where I live, you might live in an apartment. Uh, today, and your your interest in energy is pretty low, right? There's not a lot you can do. You don't have a rooftop to put a solar panel on, and, and maybe you don't even own a car. Uh, but in a year or two or three, maybe you move out, you move to the suburbs, you buy an electric vehicle, and it turns out you can have solar panels on your rooftop. And so your interest in interacting with the energy ecosystem is going to be really different then. Uh, than it was those few years back when you lived in an apartment uh, in the city. Um, so uh, I think it's um, it's not a case. Uh, I don't think we have the luxury of saying, well, we can just go target one group or another group today, um, and uh, and then we'll get to the rest of the folks later. I think we're in a position where we have to find a way to engage across a bunch of different customer types, customer segments, and um, and and find the ways to interact with them uh, in the way that uh, that uh, that they want to be interacted with. And and the best way to do that, not to sound trite about it, is to ask them. And so you're seeing a big move towards customer self-service. Uh, again, whether that's in the utility business uh, or or in other industries where people want to uh, have. Um, uh, really, it's kind of that ultimately customized relationship with their service provider. Uh, maybe I want to get a lot of communications with you, and I want it to come over uh, text or WhatsApp. Um, and uh, uh, if you were my 87-year-old father um, who doesn't carry a cell phone, uh, you may want to interact in a very different way. If there's alerts or alarms, uh, if there's information they need to, he needs to know, he, he wants paper or he wants a phone call. Um, if I went to my 17-year-old daughter and, and said I was going to send her an email, she'd laugh at me and say, what's email? So, um, you know, as we look across this incredibly diverse group of people that utilities serve, uh, we have to recognize that they're going to want to interact in very different ways. And um, that's not just the traditional uh, designations of, you know, industrial customers are different than commercial customers who are different than, uh, residential customers. It's the sub-segments within each of those groups 
um, and how they want to get and what, how they want to get information, how they want to interact with the utility, how active a user they want to be, uh, or are they people who want to make a few choices and then not have to think about it for uh, for the rest of the year, but but they want the ability to um, to jump in and, and change their preferences uh, at any time in the future. Those are some good prescriptions, uh, Christine. Do you uh, know if there's any, if we have any research that d- describes where utilities are actually at in terms of their uh, customer outreach? We've done a lot of different research around the customer experience with with utilities. Some of it is focused on just purely the the billing information, you know, how people want to be receiving their bills. Uh, but we have had some research around the broader communications aspect and that a lot of you a lot of customers like eric said are, are really looking at you know getting things through text messages uh email uh mobile apps things like that and from another study we did we found that you know a lot of utility at least you know within the past year or so didn't didn't have a mobile app uh for their customers and if they did it had you know in a lot of cases very limited capabilities so, um, I mean, there's definitely a, a big opportunity for for utilities to better address these customer experiences. Uh, you know, I think the big question is, you know, how do they best go about doing that, and and what resources do they really need to apply to to make that? Yeah, and Christine, I, I think that's exactly right. And I, I would I would add, uh, I was walking with a well-known consultant uh, to the industry through Distributech a few months back. And we were looking at uh, a bunch of the different software that's available in the industry. And he looked at me and said, you know, that software that was designed by engineers for engineers to do engineering. Um, and we all got a laugh out of that because when we shift over to talking about customers, uh, we have to recognize that this is a very different um, uh, part of the world of technology than a lot of utility folks have at least historically been, been used to. We we did a study uh, probably six months ago that that looked at you know testing kind of this A/B testing uh, for you know emails interactions with customers to test the effectiveness of programs and we really found that a lot of utilities you know they set up that program that they are going to engage with customers on and they pretty much run the entire program and then see the results at the end and. Yeah, I mean, like you're saying, Eric, I mean, that's not the way a lot of other organizations operate. I mean, they're 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 iterating, they're they're making that change very quickly. Um, but a lot of that, at least for the utilities, was just some of that you know regulatory construct, you know, the expectations of them for engaging customers. You know, here's how they they need to do it, or you know, to make sure that they get everyone involved because you know they are serving nearly everyone. Um, so that, mm-hmm. those are some of the challenges we really saw. Were just you know, that's the expectation for a lot of these utilities um, from that regulatory environment is this is how they, they engage and interact with customers. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think, you know, historically, um, a, lot of, a lot of regulators, and there's some really great ones out there, so I don't mean to, yeah. to, to lump them all in the same bin, but the regulatory construct looked like, you know, the way to treat everybody fairly is to treat everybody the same. Mm-hmm. And that's not right, right? Treating everybody fairly and treating everybody well, by definition, means meeting people on the terms that they want to be met on. And so, if you try to get, you know, if you try to jam all the square uh, pegs into the round holes, um, 
uh, or let's, I'll say I'll start over and say if you're going to try to put all of the pegs into one round hole, um, you know you'll get lucky and some percentage of the people will be happy with that choice, but a lot of people won't be. I want to expand on that a little bit uh, in terms of trying to interact with everyone on their on their terms because it's not always just about how you want to get a bill. It you know has to do with what the bill is. It can be a financial problem because the thing is is that uh, to meet new customer demands and to be able to supply all the power for a, you know a, a growing population, you 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 see the you see these big increases in you know in in, in rates. Uh, I remember reading in an article that between 2000 and 2010, the cost of energy grew at a rate three times rent prices, average rent prices nationwide in that in that time span. So a larger percentage of people's paychecks were going to their utility bills. And then you compound that with the issue that uh, lower income housing tends to be older, maybe in worse shape. And the, the people who rent have no, have like like you said earlier, can't go and put solar panels on things. They can't, they're some of the least energy efficient buildings. So it's also, it compounds that, it compounds that sort of problem. So then you know, we're here in the industry saying things like, you know, well, we've got we've got these new apps and these new smart devices, and you can say and you can save all this money on your bill, but then these people for whom these rate hikes are really really affecting are like, well, I can't, you know, I can't I can't do that. I can't be a part of that. So how do we how do we communicate with those people with those people? People like the elderly. Well, I, th- uh, right, I think well, I think there's so I think there's two there's there's two questions in what you just laid out. You know, how we communicate with people gets back to the point I was trying to make before, which is, um, you know, those people um, uh, may not have house phones, so getting texts uh, for uh, low-income households may be the absolute uh, um, uh, best way to communicate with those people. It's a more transient uh, part of society, and they may have different ways of wanting to get information than than people who have lived in the same house out in the suburbs for 20 years. Um, uh, elderly customers may want to have their interactions happen over uh, what's called IVR, but, you know, uh, uh, traditional telephone calls. Um, so how you communicate with people is, um, is, is I think, a relatively uh, solvable problem in the modern world. Now, what choices they want uh, might be very different. So as an example, um, if you're a low-income household, <coughs> You probably can't, uh, you don't have the credit score <laughs> to go get one of the uh, people who do um, uh, lease options for solar panels to come uh, because uh, typically um, you have to have a pretty high credit rating to get uh, somebody to come and put solar panels on a long-term lease on your roof. Um, so, you, you know, that, that's not an option that's available to you. Um, but maybe you're going to be interested or <clears throat> if you had the option, you might be interested in um, uh, being part of a community solar project or conversely, maybe the best option for you is prepayment. And prepayment gets, is, you know, I think over the years gotten a little bit of a bad rap as some punitive thing uh, that's done to people uh, when all of the research I've ever seen shows that uh, for prepayment's a preferred option for many, many people uh, not just for energy, but for you know the way they pay for their phone and they pay for their other services. Uh, they think about it as no different than filling up the gas tank in their car. So I think from a regulatory perspective, we've got to take the we've got to take the uh, the constraints off a little bit and uh, 
uh, let utilities be more innovative uh, in creating different options, um, uh, acknowledging this whole idea that people don't all want the same thing. Yeah, my, I can tell you my my again my 87 year old dad has no interest in a smart thermostat. You know, he's he's he he, he can't program the the old style smart thermostat that he that he had in his house. So that's not going to be all that interesting to him. But he's got a lot of flexibility on time, and he's a smart enough guy to recognize um, uh, the value of saving money. And so uh, participating in a demand response program. Uh, might be very appealing to him because he's, you know, he's got all the flexibility in the world to leave the house and go to the mall or go catch a movie if it's critical peak pricing day. And if you look at programs like Oklahoma Gas and Electric and uh, a lot of the real leaders in the industry that have done interesting things with dynamic pricing, and you look at who participates in that in those programs, low-income and elderly households participate at a greater than average level in those programs. And the reason I, I would I don't know that they've concluded this. I'll give you Eric's conclusion, which is <clears throat> saving a few bucks is more important to some of those constituencies than it might be to someone who lives in a big house, is very tech savvy. But you know, saving ten dollars a month might not be a big deal for them. That might be a very big deal for an elderly couple on a fixed income. Okay, so it sounds like what you're saying kind of to tie it all into the bigger picture you're we talking about earlier is that the central part of the communication piece is uh, tailoring communication to to the to the customer so like finding out what kinds of programs and what kinds of services and what kinds of interactions uh, each each customer would prefer and then using that to be to reach them in the in the best way possible right yeah and, and listen I think it's going to be on a more frequent basis than it used to be I don't know about you guys but I don't hear from my utility very regularly I get a I get a bill once a month I get the occasional email um, with an offer um, some new program but relative to any number of service providers uh, that uh, that sell me stuff um, my interaction with my utility is really very low um, and I'm not suggesting that I want them to call me every day and make it be a big time constraint, but I might want, in my case, uh, a little bit more information about some of the options that are available, uh, described in clear English uh, with an easy action step to go implement it, not something where maybe I'd have to go to a website and navigate through 37 tabs to find out that there's an energy efficiency program I might be interested in signing up signing up for. Uh, but it's just so hard to get to that I, I'm never going to do that work. But the thing is, is like like you already said, uh, as utilities, they're dealing with, you know, ni- 99% of of people who exist. So uh, how are you, how are they able to efficiently gather and synthesize that data to be able to have the have those tailored programs? Is, is that possible? Is there like a, do they need like a partnership, or are we actually already there? Well, I think I, I don't know that we're there, and uh, I don't know that I, I'm not entirely sure that, that there is a place that you actually get to and declare victory. I think it's part of a of a just a, a changing the way you you do work, and it's an iterative process. And you're going to learn something, and then that's going to send you down a different path, and then you'll learn something new yet again, and and that might shift it around. There are amazing tools that are that are have been developed for you know all of these other industries. So this is a case of where 
you know, the massive tech digital revolution that's happened around us has produced a lot of tools where uh, utilities do not have to go and reinvent the wheel here. Um, you know, they can go call, um, you know, current service providers of theirs, uh, people like SAP and Oracle, uh, but certainly other tech firms that do marketing analytics uh, that, um, that I'm sure many utilities are already using these products, uh, uh, gathering information, tracking their behavior, who logs on, you know, who opens the app, um, uh, what's my response rate to, to emails that I send. And, uh, and so through that, you can learn what works, what doesn't work, um, what gets people excited, you know, what just hits the trash bin, and, uh, and constantly iterate and improve uh, on those results. I believe the technology is there because if if Facebook can send me an ad for a Blu-ray of a DVD I was talking about in person to a friend at a bar the other day, then I'm pretty sure that we have the technology to know who wants to be in demand response. Yeah, and I think you, there are profiles that you can acknowledge, and you know you want to spread the word. Um, again, there are uh, there are many successful utility engagement programs. Uh, on things like energy efficiency and demand response, um, but it's uh, it's a it's this highly personalized uh, thing, and so you know, kind of you know, in in version one um, of of how these programs rolled out. If you look at energy efficiency programs, you know, you had a lot of um, you know very I would call it um, basic or kind of almost gross behavioral analytics that um, that told people, boy, if I send somebody a letter and say you use more. Uh, energy than your neighbor does, uh, then we know that on some basis, some percentage of people will modify their behavior. Um, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but uh, like so many other things, then the, the effectiveness of that starts to fade and you need to do something that's a little bit more actionable, a little bit more personable uh, to my circumstance. And and then also, you know, be really clear about what the incentives are, where, where things like dynamic pricing programs have um, have have been really effective is when you do a good job as the as the provider continually reinforcing to the customer how much money they've saved, how much good they've done, uh, whether that's carbon reduction or, or or dollars in your pocket. Um, we have to you know keep reinforcing um, uh, the benefits that people are getting out of it because uh, let's face it, it's a pretty noisy environment. So, Eric, that's an interesting point that you bring up. You know, how do you um, continue to um, inform customers or relay customers the value that's actually coming from this improved interaction? So, yeah, how do you go, how do you define that? How do you communicate to customers, you know, the value they're getting out of um, participating in these programs, you know, aside from cost savings? Well, I think, you know, first off, I think that, People are motivated by different things, and a lot of people are going to be motivated by cost. So I wouldn't throw that one out. Uh, if, if someone's saving uh, $10 a month, uh, uh, then, then we should let them know that they save $10 a month. But that could be dimensionalized in any number of ways. Uh, it can be dimensionalized in terms of environmental benefits. Um, it, can, uh, it can be dimensionalized in terms of um, air quality. Um, you know, uh, we just have to... When, when good things happen, 
uh, we ought to, as an industry, we ought to tell people the good things that happen. And I'll, I'll give an example. Um, and this isn't a, an energy savings thing. This is just utilities taking credit for something that they do really well today, which is system reliability, right? So uh, I would argue that you want to turn the paradigm around. Today, we, we expect that we have 100% electricity. I'm going to come home. I'm going to flip a switch. The lights are going to come on, right? And if that ever doesn't happen, if the, if the exception to the rule happens, then, of course, I'm mad as you know what, uh, because um, the ding-ding utility are a bunch of incompetent whatevers, and they never keep the lights on, right? But, but we all know that most people have 99, 9-plus percent reliability of electricity. So in a modern world where most smart metering systems can capture that, why wouldn't we tell people, if I'm a utility, why wouldn't I tell people what the reliability of the power to their house was? I could print it on the bill. I have that information, and I've got to be brave enough to put it out there and take credit for the good quality of the work. And if there are problems, be, be prepared to have really good uh, communications with people about what I'm going to do to make it better. I, I really like that uh, because, yeah, utilities don't often take credit for, you know, how reliable their service really is. I thought it was interesting having a conversation with FPL, and they had talked about a lot of investments they had been making in their, you know, distribution networks, um, you know, just better automating things, all of that. And you know, they were talking about the recent hurricanes where they were really excited because, you know, some of the, you know, they had power outages, but they weren't as long as they might have had in the past. Um, you know, and they could really see those benefits, but, you know, to the people kind of on the outside, they, they, all they saw that, all they saw were these outages, right? So it's like, okay, well, you know, we had some outages, but it wasn't nearly as bad as it could have been. Um, and we've actually done a lot of it. So yeah. how do utilities best, best communicate that and let people know, hey, you know, we are doing a, doing a pretty good job already. Yeah, well, I think, hey, listen, Eric Salaji is one of the smartest guys in the industry, right? And uh, and his team have done amazing things in a place that, let's, you know, let's face it, if, if, you, if you live in Florida, um, you're going to have some heavy weather. Right? <laughs> <laughs> South Florida, all right? You signed up for that when you moved. And they've done an amazing job of um, using technology, you know, kind of cutting-edge technology, but frankly also some really old-school, you know, just better – better poles and wires um, to, to harden that system up. Now, they could have done that and never told anybody and just hoped that nobody noticed. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, that doesn't get it done. You really want to get out and proactively tell people, I'm, I'm doing this, and, they, and, and FPL, of course, did do this. They went out and told people that they had a grid modernization, grid hardening program. Um, they were very clear in communicating that with people. And when the storm came, they've done a very proactive job uh, communicating the benefits. I think, you know, you look at people like ComEd in Chicago uh, has done a fantastic job of communicating um, uh, what the benefits uh, on reliability, shorter outages, fewer outages, um, overall system reliability. Uh, it's all fantastic stuff that, that I think utilities just have to, uh, frankly, be brave and get out and talk about with people because, I know what I know, having been in this business for 20 years, that the that the mindset that they're coming from is just keep your head down and try not to be noticed. I'm glad we were able to sort of break down the communication piece 
of customer interaction in the digital age because that's a that's a part of it that I feel is sort of skimmed over uh, in these kinds of discussions. So I'm glad we're able to break it down. Uh, I want to shift a little bit to another area of public outreach that uh, the utility industry is maybe not doing so well in, and that is in letting people know how cool it is to be in the, to be in this industry. Uh, Aaron, you recently wrote an article about uh, how there's sort of a a lack of ener- energy-based education, and Christine's also been working on uh, trying to figure out how people get into energy, and more people than you might think just sort of wound up here without ever even thinking about it. So, uh, Aaron, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your article was about and how uh, how you feel as a as a new person in energy that people are getting in? Yeah. Um, so I. I had the personal experience going to a small liberal arts college uh, in Austin that I didn't really get any exposure to the energy industry during my undergrad. Like I didn't really have going into energy as an option um, post-graduation because I didn't know too much about the industry. So I thought that was interesting. And then I, I wound up here through a social connection and have been working in, in energy since. So for about two years now, and it's really got me thinking, you know, how many other people are kind of like me, just just happen to find themselves here almost. Like it wasn't, I'm going to graduate and I'm going to go into energy. It was, I'm going to graduate. I have this skill set. Maybe, you know, I can find a way to apply it to the energy industry. And um, after going, you know, going around and talking to people about it, which, which Christine and I like to do a lot, we, we have found that most people are like, well, I, you know, I got, um, I graduated with my degree in accounting, but, and then I, I fell into energy because I was working for a big accounting firm and had an energy client and happened to find out about it that way. It's always some, some chain of strange events that's led people to be in energy. And, you know, I thought, why is that? Is it because there's not enough um, exposure to the energy industry in undergrad or, or higher ed curriculum. And, and so what I decided to do was go and ask um, the dean of my business school at St. Edward's uh, Monday School of Business, Nancy Schreiber, um, how, what she thought about this issue because she had come in um, halfway through my uh, year, uh, halfway through my um, stint at St. Edwards and had instituted a new curriculum um, that she felt was reflective of the local Austin business community. And this curriculum um, was based on five pillars that she identified as entrepreneurial thinking, uh, social enterprise, innovation management, uh, global collaboration, and business analytics. So those are the, the five pillars that the business curriculum would now be reflective of Um, And so I think after talking to Nancy, I had this realization that I don't think it's a problem of um, there being a lack of exposure to the energy industry. I think that that may be one one small contributing factor, Um, but I actually found I think it's more so that um, the the skill sets or uh, the core principles, core competencies that higher ed um, curriculum is based off of isn't really reflective of some of the skills needed in today's workforce. Um, for instance, you know we're seeing a lot of skills gaps arise within utilities around you know analytics. We have a lot of them are saying we have all this data, we just don't really know what to do with it. And so I think it's repositioning 
um, <clears throat> repositioning that curriculum to give students skill sets that are um, realizable across different industries that are more in touch with the digital transformations um, that are occurring. So that's really um, what I've been interested in. And that's, um, I guess, what I think one of the major problems is in terms of, you know, how, how people get into, ener into energy and how we're going to start to fill the skills gaps, um, the skills gap that we're seeing arise in energy as well as, as other industries. But um, just really refocusing uh, that curriculum on, you know, analytics, um, social, social enterprise, global engagement. Um, that's, that's kind of my uh, brief <laughs> overview of what this article talks about and how I've been thinking about um, how people get into energy. Eric, uh, what, what, what's your energy story? How did you, how did you get into energy? I mean, you founded a, a company at some point, so you clearly have a passion for it. Yeah, well, you know, uh, but but a little bit like Aaron was just saying, you know, I I, uh, I was an economics uh, <laughs> undergrad uh, and thought I'd uh, go into something academic, and then uh, in my bizarre story, I ended up going to work for Procter and Gamble for about a decade, and um, and worked in the consumer products industry, which had nothing to do with my undergraduate degree, and then. Uh, it was while I was at Procter and Gamble that we got the idea to found Silver, was what became Silver Spring Networks, uh, and create this kind of real-time, two-way, you know, digital, you know, what we would now call Internet of Things uh, platform um, that uh, was focused against energy and other critical infrastructure. So, um, uh, you know, like a lot of life journeys, it all makes sense when you look backwards of how you got here, but but you never would have predicted it looking forward. Um, and uh, and I and I did, and I have had a passion for it. I grew up in a in a kind of a clean tech household uh, because my dad was in the water purification and filtration business. So um, uh, you know this is kind of back in the '70s and you know the passage of the Clean Air and Clear and Clean Water Act. Um, uh, that, that that business really started to take off. And, uh, but, but I think Aaron's point's exactly right. You know, people aren't going to go where they don't know there's a place to go. And so I would argue that the education and awareness has to probably start even before college and, you know, at the high school level. At Silver Spring, we, uh, we had a program um, that we started. It was a nonprofit uh, that was in part funded uh, through some DOE money uh, called Power Over Energy. And it was just education. And it created a curriculum that could be used. Uh, we had a, a grade school level curriculum and a high school level curriculum to be tied into science and environmental studies programs. And the response to that program was uh, phenomenal. Uh, kids were really interested in it. They learned a lot. Uh, it made it very practical and kind of hands-on uh, to understand what was happening in their world around them. And uh, I can't, uh, I can't say for sure that we that we brought anybody to the industry from that, but at least there was a level of awareness that um, that didn't exist before. So we've done a little bit of research here at, at Z Prime. I put out a survey asking people about, you know, when did they learn that energy was was a real possibility in terms of a, a career for them. And I found it really interesting. We had about 100 people respond to the survey. And you mentioned, Eric, the importance of you know, getting to people and educating them 
them early on. Uh, and, you know, of those who responded to the survey, just a couple of them said that they actually had learned about it in elementary school. And from reading their stories, it seemed like a lot of them who learned about it in elementary school perhaps, you know, had an experience with, with putting a fork in an outlet or shocking themselves and wanting to learn more about, <laughs> about energy. Um, definitely some good stories there. Uh, but, you know, really over half of the people said, hey, you know, I didn't learn about it until they either entered the work, once I joined the workforce or after I had entered the workforce. And, you know, 25% of the people said that they didn't even move to energy until they were 10 years or more into their careers. So, um, yeah, I mean, it seems like there's there's really that, that gap in terms of, um, you know, education and understanding early on about, uh, you know, how uh, about the benefits of, of working in energy and the opportunities that are there. And I also asked the question, you know, how did you end up in energy? Did you feel that you, you know, fell into energy or happened into it almost by accident? And 63% of people said yes, that yeah. they pretty much had happened upon it. So um, and I think we have, we've had this conversation of how do we kind of make it less accidental that, that people come to energy? Um, you know, how do we make sure that people want to come to energy and actually, actually seek it out? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, hope is not a strategy, right? And uh, hoping that enough people stumble into it. Um, <laughs> but uh, listen, I think uh, the utilities are doing more cool stuff right now. Uh, and I'll call it over the last 10 years than they probably did in the 50 years that preceded that. Um, and so they just, again, have to get out and communicate get out to the universities, to the trade schools, to the high schools, and let people know what's going on. Um, I live here in, you know, the Silicon Valley, uh, you know, the, nominally at least one of the hotbeds, along with Austin, of where cool, innovative technology things are happening. And uh, uh, and so, you know, if you're, if you're looking for data scientists, um, uh, to use the example that uh, was given a minute ago, uh, and you're a PG&E or you're in Austin Energy, you're competing against a lot of tech companies who want the same talent. Um, and so you better get out and tell people why what you're doing is cool and the impact that it can have both uh, economically and environmentally um, uh, because, uh, you know, you're competing against the big boys uh, doing uh, interesting things with technology. Yeah, we asked we asked several people, or we asked people in the survey to share their story, you know, their their personal anecdotes about how they got involved in energy, and a lot of people who got involved in it from the time they were in college or you know going to the technical school or something like that. Many of the people mentioned, oh, you know, we had a representative from our local utility company come and talk to us, and you know that's how they learned about it. So yeah, I mean, definitely that outreach on on utilities part and, and really being proactive seem to, you know, have an influence on people who, you know, didn't, didn't know that it was an opportunity for them. What's your energy story, Christine? Oh, how did you get in Christine? I was just going to say the <laughs> same thing. Um, I mean, I worked, well, I, I did, I went to grad school and I, I have a master's in city and regional planning with a focus in economic development. So I was really into studying different industries, you know, how they grew, how they shaped communities. And I was in New York at the time and knew I wanted to come back to Colorado. So uh, that summer I came back from grad school, I, I happened to work for 
the, the major association for manufacturing in Colorado studying manufacturing and how it was shaping Colorado. So I did a report about that at the end of the summer. I got it done, you know, by the end of the summer. And the executive director of that of that organization, um, her name is Elaine Thorndike. She happened to be printing out the report, and her hu husband happened to see it, and he said, "Oh, we do the same thing, except in the energy industry." Um, and, and and her husband is Rick Nicholson, who headed IDC Energy Insights and now works with ABB. And so they had a research analyst role. And I said, hey, you know, energy and utilities sounds interesting and pretty foundational to our society. So uh, I jumped in and started learning. And here you are, oh. Christine. <laughs> yeah. No, no are. forks in the socket. It was just just a, a printer, printer coincidence. We're going to be getting less and less of those. I, I, I find that printers are, are <laughs> going away. It really dates me now. Um, that, that it happened over a printer. I think it's just really relevant that we're having this conversation. So being in San Francisco this weekend, I actually watched a local news story. Um, PG&E had gone to um, a middle school and just kind of set up a booth and allowed um, the middle schoolers to come and ask them about what they did. And, and it turns out that three of the girls in the middle school were really inspired um, by PG&E and ended up creating this kind of like an energy efficiency. They were like the hall monitors for energy efficiency. Like they would walk around the school at the end of the day and make sure all the lights were turned out. And they would, they would leave notes on the teacher's desks, you know, reminding them to turn off their lights and, you know, turn off their AC or, or do whatever. And it, it turns out that they ended up saving their school about $50,000 um, over the course of the year. So I think that's just one example of how utilities, you know, can go in and engage students um, at, a, at a younger level. And then they get to see that return, that value that they provided um, for their school in terms of dollars and cents uh, in this instance. So I think, you know, things like that, small things like that um, can be really impactful in the way we start to inspire the next generation um, to work in energy. Energy's cool, guys. Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, listen, I tell everybody that comes from outside the industry that um, uh, one of the great things about energy is just the sheer complexity uh, and, um, and scale of the things you get to work on. Uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you were kind of easily bored in your last job, come to energy because um, there's so much depth and there's always another layer you can understand and uh, uh, it may be frustrating at times for all of us who are working in the space, but ultimately it uh, it creates some really interesting problem sets to go uh, to go solve problems. Uh, all right. On that note, uh, we're going to we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, I would like to thank you. I would like to thank our guest Eric. Thanks for being on. It was a great conversation. So uh, thanks for having me, and uh, I look forward to uh, seeing you all real soon. Aaron, thanks for being here. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks for letting me chime in from uh, the Bay today. Christine, thanks for being on. Sure thing, Dylan. Thanks for having me. You can find our research and media at etsinsights.com. You can find us on social media at D.Y. Lockwood, at H.C. underscore Richards, at Aaron underscore Hardick. 
and at zprime underscore research. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you.